Simple Beep, episode 22, Widgets. Hello, and welcome to Simple Beep, a podcast looking back at the history of Apple and the Mac community. I'm Ed Cormany. And I'm Brian Satorius. And on this episode, we're going to talk about widgets of all sizes, shapes, colors, and platforms. But before we do that, we have a little bit of follow-up from a couple episodes ago. So a couple episodes ago, we talked about Adium and its place in the greater pantheon of Mac messaging software. And one of the other apps that we mentioned was a Twitter client for OS X that's called Yorufukuro. And we noted that it had an icon that's an owl and that many Twitter clients, of course, have icons that are birds and Adium also had its famous Adium-y duck. And we got some feedback from Yannick on Twitter, uh, who pointed out something that I had known at one point because this was pretty prominent in Yorufukuro's website and documentation. But the name uh, of the app uh, means night owl in Japanese. So that's why the icon is an owl. I don't know why he decided for the name of the app to mean night owl. Maybe you just stay up reading Twitter all night. But that's why it has that cute little owl icon. So today we're going to talk about widgets. And we're going to talk about a few different ways that we've conceived of widgets on the Mac. Uh, Going back really all the way to the classic Mac, but looking particularly on early OS X. But before we go... Uh, to the classic Mac, we're actually going to rewind all the way just to figure out what the heck do we mean by widget? And so I decided, okay, this is clearly kind of, we think of this as kind of a modern technological word, right? Yeah. uh, Lots of companies talk about manufacturing the widget as kind of a generic representation of their product. Right. So I went to the canonical source uh, (laughs) for how old is this word? And that's the Oxford English Dictionary, (laughs) at least for me. And the etymology is uncertain, perhaps an alteration of gadget, which is also something that we associate with technology, things that you you can carry around with you that are electronics. Uh, But it says that it's an indefinite name for a gadget or mechanical contrivance, especially a small manufactured item, as you pointed out, Brian. And the first citations for it go back to like the 1930s. So I guess this is like, you know, big industrialization times. Um, And the first citation that actually has it used in a sentence says something about making widgets in a factory. So that's like, that is the canonical thing is that we have, you have, you have a factory and it produces widgets and they do technological things. (laughs) Um, So it's a word that's versatile in that sense, because it can be used to describe whatever widget you want it to describe. Um, But on the classic Mac, I know that the first time that I heard the word widget used with respect to software and system software was it actually didn't refer to little standalone products, kind of more the way that we think of them now. But it actually referred to pieces of the interface. So I remember calling uh, the various uh, controls on a Finder window or on any window in classic Mac, they were the window widgets. So you had the the close widget, the zoom widget, and then later the window shade widget or a collapse widget. And I think at some points, you know, you could also call them close box, zoom box. Um, Window shade widget, I think, was always widget, especially when it was third-party software because it just trips off the tongue. Yeah. (laughs) Window shade widget. (laughs) Um, So those were the widgets on the classic Mac. And all they were were these little pieces of interface. And I I guess, you know, there was no real other term for them. All the other pieces of the interface had more specific terms. You know, buttons were always supposed to look like a rounded rectangle and have some text in it, you know, that that defined a button. And the human interface guidelines were very, pretty strict and strictly adhered to in classic Mac OS. But then in OS X, of course, they know you couldn't call it a closed box anymore because it's not a box, starting with OS X. 
it became the aqua bubbles and then eventually the colorful bubbles and the flat stoplight that we know today. And so now I think that they are officially just called buttons. They're another type of button. So there's a close button or a minimize button on given windows in the interface now. And when I was working IT during college, it was the early years of OS X and people would refer to them also as jewels. Like click the red jewel to make the window go away. Oh, I never really heard that one. Yeah. It's perfectly descriptive. Yeah. You know, they could have used any word other than widget. And box was nice and descriptive. <laughs> yeah. But now we don't have those widgets as part of the interface anymore. We think of widgets as sort of little mini applications, I would think. Something that either gives you information or lets you do a small interaction. Not a full-fledged application necessarily, not even like a simple iOS application. Something smaller than that. And we've had that on the desktop, actually, for a long time. So they went by a completely different name at the time, though. But from the beginning of the Mac system software, there were desk accessories. And the whole point of these was especially to sort of work around memory limitations in early Mac hardware and in the early system architecture. You could have the Finder running, or you could have an application running, and that was really about it. There was no true multitasking. Uh, for those who didn't experience it, you can think of it a lot like iOS today. And actually, it's a pretty good parallel in terms of where we are right now in late 2015, we're recording this the eve of the big iPhone announcement, uh, and we expect that we'll see a lot more regarding iOS multitasking uh, in the coming days and months. But for now, you get one app at a time, but you might be able to do one or two other things uh, through by means of a widget. And that's exactly what desk accessories were designed to do. So they were providing a small degree of multitasking on a system with no other multitasking ability. And because Apple was you know, very parsimonious in its design at the time, they really made sure that the things that got made as desk accessories, you know, again, Apple sort of controlling how this works here, only they made the desk accessories at first. And they were exactly the kinds of things that you might need while you were using some other application that could be small and lightweight enough that they didn't count as an application unto themselves. Yeah, you can think of items that you might actually have on your real-world physical desk. Things like a calculator or a clock to keep track of the time. Uh, things specific to the Mac, like the chooser for toggling which printer you might be sending your document to over an Apple Talk network. But of course, you don't want to have to completely quit out of everything just to pick which printer you're going to use. You want to stay in your workflow. And these little widgets, these desk accessories, were not full-fledged applications that lived as an application bundle or actually a, a single file in those days. They were resources as part of the system file, the system suitcase even, I think, in later versions. And as such... If you wanted to configure these desk accessories, you had to use a special utility called Font DA Mover. I remember seeing this on my family computer, but I don't remember ever touching it because I think we got the my earliest memories involved System Six, which was when MultiFinder was coming around, and the need for things like true desk accessories was diminishing. Yeah, and when MultiFinder and then true multitasking in System Seven came around, what that meant was that all of the desk accessories that existed to that point, ones from Apple, and I think at that point some third-party ones, whether they were really fully supported or not, at that point they were all sort of liberated to become full applications of their own, and they behaved more like applications than they showed up as being applications in the application switcher and those sorts of things. And it also meant that they had more freedom to become, to have more features. But I think to a certain extent, as long as they existed, they still had 
they still had some special features like involving the the memory allocation and things like that. They didn't work from the same uh, from the same pool of memory as as regular applications would have to draw from. If you recall in the classic Mac, if you didn't have a large enough unused block when you went to open an application, you were stuck. And I think that the desk accessories were drawing from basically the system RAM, and it could maybe reshuffle things around a little bit behind the scenes. Desk accessories were also visually set aside from regular applications. First, in their icon, we discussed icons in a previous episode and how the generic application icon was a hand holding a writing implement or painting or what have you, uh, poised over a tilted piece of paper. And the hand for applications is coming in from the right side of the icon's bounding box. For desk accessories, it was basically flipped horizontal. The generic desk accessory icon was a hand coming in from the left, holding its writing or painting implement. And similarly, the window chrome for desk accessories was, uh, like Ed mentioned in the human interface guidelines, set to be a little bit different. Uh, The title bar was black instead of white with stripes, and the, the font would be white. And these desk accessories had full rounded corners instead of the square 90 degree angle windows of the early Mac OS. So desk accessories not only looked different, but were also different in the memory space, in the driver space and how they existed in the system. We'll put a link in the show notes to a piece on folklore.org about some of the early desk accessories. It's called desk ornaments and it goes into some of the history behind your favorite desk accessories. If you were using the Mac in the time, things like the first iterations of the control panel, which wasn't a folder of different control panels, as you might remember from system seven onward, but one window that had to fit all the settings into a single desk accessory and everyone's favorite, the calculator, which pretty much stayed unchanged from system one all the way through 9.1. And there were even, of course, some fun desk accessories like the puzzle, which then in later versions of the classic Mac went from just being a tile number puzzle to gaining graphics, to gaining color graphics. You could paste your own graphics in. It was like a little mini application. I think one of the most interesting things from the folklore piece is where they sort of argue back and forth over like, what's the difference between a full application and what they were calling desk ornaments before they had the name desk accessories. And I think that's the, like, that's one of the most important pieces here is what would we want to put in this category of a different type of piece of software rather than just say, make an application out of it. Like I said, then it was mostly dealing with restrictions of the hardware and software. Whereas now that has to be just a pure design choice in many cases, at least on the desktop, right? You you can make a calculator as simple or complex as you want. You can have, literally just a calculator that only does the four basic operations, or you could have something that's a rich, full-fledged application, something like Solver, where you have like, you can use natural language and you have all of this record of all of the calculations that you've made and you can use variables. That feels to us like an application, whereas just 10 numbers and four operations seems like something different. We're going to make a giant leap now from the early days of the Mac to something solely in Mac OS X era, and that is the third-party platform, really, application and platform known as Confabulator. And Confabulator was filling a hole because when the transition from the classic Mac to OS X came around, the by then weak distinction between desk accessories and full-fledged apps went away entirely. So up through Mac OS 9, there were still desk accessories that were pretty much continuations of their early forms from either the very beginning or some of the later ones added in System 6, System 7. But when you got to OS 10, 
every application was on equal footing, uh, including the very basic ones like Calculator, which is still available in OS X today as a standalone app. And sure, it's more full-fledged than the original calculator on the original Mac system software, but it still, to me, feels like it could pass as that sort of, it's like sort of just under the line for, yeah, this is kind of widgety. It has some more advanced features that you can enable, but by default, it's pretty simple. But there was none of that architectural distinction between applications and widgets on OS X. And Confabulator was looking to bring that back to and to go back to some of the more even smaller use cases for getting things, getting information and having small interactions outside of applications on OS X. So the way they accomplished this was through leveraging technologies that were available at the time. So this is directly from their description of the app. So Confabulator is a JavaScript runtime engine for OS X that lets you run little files called widgets that can do pretty much whatever you want them to. And that's exactly what it was. So any code that could be run in sort of standard JavaScript could be executed within a Confabulator widget. And that was the basis of their whole platform. And then they go on to say what set Confabulator apart from other scripting applications, of course, you could write JavaScript and run it arbitrarily on, on your Mac if you wanted to. Or even AppleScript. Or AppleScript. What set it apart was that it takes full advantage of Apple's quartz rendering. So this is a couple generations into, into OS X. They say this allows widgets to blend fluidly into your desktop without the constraints of traditional window borders. Now, that's an important aesthetic choice that they made. So with the desk accessories, they had windows that stood out, but they were definitely still bordered windows. And with Confabulator, that was completely thrown away. Whatever art was involved in a Confabulator widget stood on its own. And then they say, toss in some sliding and fading, and these little guys are right at home in macOS 10. And of course, this was in around, probably I would say, what, 10.2, 10.3? So Aqua has matured at this point, but it's still definitely a Aqua world in OS 10. And one of the things that's interesting, we'll link up a couple articles that go into pretty great detail about uh, the actual technologies that underlie Confabulator. And one of those was from John Syracuse and points out that um, the JavaScript framework that they used was built on Mozilla's SpiderMonkey engine. So recall that all of this is being done in software and it's a runtime engine and it's not particularly optimized so that so again we go back to the technological constraints here so th there are almost artificial technological constraints on these confabulator widgets because they're saying we need something that is actually smaller than an application it's not going to be able to run all of the native code the same way a full-fledged application will. It will be a little piece of JavaScript, some images, some text. You can go out to the web, um, fetch data over the internet, those sorts of things that you could ordinarily do with JavaScript, but it's not going to be lightning fast. It's not going to be hardware accelerated. It's just a little script for a little purpose. So to dive into some of the history behind Confabulator... It was originally a two-person team, and then later on, a third joined. But one of the original two is Arlo Rose, who we talked about uh, in an earlier episode of Simple Beep, talking about his work on Kaleidoscope. So he's no stranger to things to, that customize the Mac's appearance, certainly. And the, as Ed said, the aesthetic choices of many confabulator widgets were what made them worth having, in addition to the functionality they brought. So the original team was Arlo Rose from Kaleidoscope fame and Perry Clark. And uh, at first, at confabulator.com, they posted a little teaser that just said, what is confabulator? Whatever you want it to be. And 
apparently this drove enough hype that when Confabulator was released and it became clear what it was, uh, it, it, it worked well enough. It was solid. It was good that the, the hype and actually delivering on the hype made Confabulator enough of a success that the two person team was able to quit their day jobs and focus on Confabulator full time. Version 1.0 of Confabulator was released in February 2003, and it retailed uh, through Shareware for $24.95. And so we think about App Store pricing today, and there are cycles of developers and press talking about, is it possible to go indie full-time? Uh, maybe if you were able to make a successful app or software service and charge $25 a license, it still could be just, that's one thing that stood out to me when I was going back. Absolutely. And looking back at this little teaser page, which we'll link to the exact, I guess it's like the second capture in the Wayback machine for their domain. And it says, said that text that you said, and then it has just hovering in the middle of the page, a clock. A round face analog clock that's been mocked up very nicely in sort of in the exact sort of aesthetic that you would expect for OS 10 at the time. It's got it's got that sort of beige background, like the the LCD ish background, but it has obviously a glass cover that has a shine on it, a reflection. And then there's a drop shadow and reflection below it. And this was, I mean, it seems so basic, but this was actually what they were selling was the default widget when you installed Confabulator. The one that opened was just an analog clock. And the notion was you could take that analog clock and you could put it anywhere on your desktop and it would sit there all day and tell you what time it was. A very simple conceit. But something that's useful to enough people. Yes, and also, on the other hand, showing off some, very subtly, some of the capabilities of their system. Because if you say, oh, well, you can write, uh, you can write scripts in JavaScript. And you say, okay, make a clock out of that. You would figure, okay, you're going to get something that's like the menu bar clock. It's just going to count seconds and output text. And maybe you can style the text. But it'll still be in a window that's you know has its firm boundaries on your desktop, right? Or maybe it's just floating, but that's all that you would be able to manage with something like that. And they showed no, even with this same kind of underlying technology, if you give it the right image assets, if you tell it to transform them in the appropriate way, you can actually have a full fledged analog clock that's running on this underlying JavaScript foundation. So like we said, version one of Confabulator was released in February 2003 for the Mac, and it was successful. Its creators got to devote their full time to it, and I think it became clear to them that, that there was demand for it on Windows. So the third member of their team, Ed Voaz, joined in the second half of 2003 to help them make a Windows version, and that was released in November 2004. And he was also a Kaleidoscope alum, if I remember correctly. I think so. And and also ex-Apple, potentially. Right, which I, I think generated some trouble. There were some questions about what Arlo Rose, I think in particular, had developed in his time at Apple and whether it was on the side or whether it was part of Apple IP. And I'm not sure exactly what came of that, but I remember it being sort of a scandal at the time. And the thing about having a cross-platform platform is that most of the widgets that third-party developers are making could work either on Mac or Windows. You know, it was really essentially JavaScript. I think there were some that were platform-specific, like maybe if there were ones that, that could do battery status or talk to certain bits of your hardware. But uh, for the most part, it was a truly cross-platform thing. It was in November 2004, and it, it was just taking off. Great success. And wasn't this also around the same time that... Microsoft started trying to build that into Windows. Oh, yeah. Didn't they call it like Active Desktop or something? I think so, yeah. Where there would actually just be basically a web page running as your desktop 
and try to put various useful pieces of information into that. But that was always hard to do, especially because I think it took over literally the entire desktop, or at least a strip down the side. Whereas each of the confabulator widgets, despite not having a window, they all had a bounding box, and they had a grabbable, draggable region. And that was how you could interact with them and move them and get them into the places that you wanted. And each of them did their own thing on their own time. Of course, yes, perhaps using precious CPU cycles of yours, if you had 20 confabulator widgets open all running JavaScript code constantly, you could probably bring your system to a halt. <laughs> but they were all compartmentalized in that way, and that's why, that, that's why they were so widget-ish. So I'm going to skip over one related piece of history and jump to Confabulator 2.0 being released in May 2005. Uh, it was a it was a big release, a lot of improvements, a lot of uh, like the default widgets had updated their styles. It was a clear upgrade. They dropped the price down to just 19.95, and uh, that so that was May 2005. And just a couple months later, in July, Yahoo acquired. Confabulator and the team behind it went to go work at Yahoo. The, it suddenly became free. And this was released as version 2.1. And for a while, it even uh, kept the name Confabulator, but eventually it transitioned to being called Yahoo Widgets. Yeah, about the time that it was named Yahoo Widgets was about the time that I stopped using <laughs> Confabulator. I knew that it couldn't be too much longer for the world. I, I, I remember that one of the default widgets that I swore by was the weather widget that was bundled with it. And the, the weather widget had this frosted glass-looking window rectangle to it. It was a rounded rectangle and then a very large representation of the current weather, you know, the moon or the sun or clouds or whatever, hanging off the one side. And then there was a little drop-down little disclosure triangle that you would click to see the forecast for the next few days. And it was that default widget, and that was my access to weather information completely. That sat on my desktop, and that was how I knew what the upcoming weather was going to be. And when it went over to Yahoo Widgets, I think they also changed the back end on that to be Yahoo Weather uh -huh. and put a big Y logo on it. And it just became less fun to use at that point. The whole part of the whole feeling of Confabulator was that it was this platform that was open to anybody. Even the default widgets, which are supposed to be very useful, were a little bit whimsical. And when it all got bought out by Yahoo, all of the whimsy was was sucked right out of it. So I was kind of surprised to see this that. Apparently, the Yahoo Widgets platform only shut down three years ago in March of 2012. Because I would, would have been surprised if anyone was still using that. I don't know whether the client software or the platform software for OS X was really kept up to date. But I know that it certainly was flagging in popularity. And it's not surprising. Around March 2012, I think... Yahoo was trying to shed any dead weight they could find. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, for those few years where Confabulator really occupied a prime place on my desktop, and yeah, I would run three or four widgets consistently because if you got past that, it got to be a little bit crazy. This was before Spaces on the OS X desktop, so any widget that you opened was taking up screen real estate. So you needed to be judicious in which ones you used. Like I said, I used one for weather uh, that gave the current conditions. And then I also had another app. I think it was specifically a weather app that showed radar images of the weather in the area. Or it might have been just an app that showed a static image from the web, and I went and grabbed the URL of that image from weather.com and then it would constantly update it. I forget which of those it was. 
I also had one that showed CPU usage, and that was before I used utilities like menu meters or uh, iStat menu. That would be a good solution for that kind of information today. One of the other things that I think, as I was just thinking about this and saying how you had to manage their positions respective to the rest of your windows, because you're supposed to be always on kinds of information or showing you what the information that you wanted. But I think one of those features that came maybe in 2.0 or in one of the later releases was that you were able to basically pin widgets to the background so that even if you clicked and dragged across them, then you wouldn't wind up interacting with them or moving them. And you had to hold down a modifier key, probably command, I think, to actually interact with those widgets. So that did sort of bake them more into the landscape of your desktop. So Confabulator was really running quite well. I'm sure they were doing a pretty good business in shareware fees like Kaleidoscope. I was a college student and I did not pay for Confabulator, I admit it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So who knows how many of their users actually uh, were paying customers. But it was going very well. They had an active community. People were always coming up with new ideas for, hey, what if I could have a widget that did this? Well, is that possible? Yes, no. Will someone build it for me? Do I have to build it myself? I know that I built one really small widget just to try it, but I didn't really know any JavaScript, which made it hard. (laughs) I still really don't know any JavaScript. Um, So I was taking templates and just trying to, you know, shoehorn together pieces that would actually work. But I remembered I did get, at some point, I made a widget that, at the time, I was pretty heavily into contributing to Wikipedia. And I wanted a count of how many contributions, how many edits I had made to Wikipedia. And I somehow found a way to scrape that information from a web page and get it to display. And it was a completely ugly widget. I don't think it even had a background. It was just a floating piece of text. And when you tried to like close or relaunch it to you know debug and get the next version, you'd have to click exactly on a pixel that was part of one of the letters, or you'd wind up clicking through to the background. Nice. It was it was not professional in any way and was never released, but it was simple enough to create your own widgets. Like we said with icon design, it's that sort of thing where if you took the time and effort to really craft it, you could have a good result. If you did it sort of quick and dirty, it might still function, but it was not for public consumption. So that platform was really going well, a good community surrounding Confabulator. But then in 2005, Apple announced OS 10 10.4 Tiger, and they had a new feature in Tiger called Dashboard. And to the average Confabulator user, it was pretty surprising because some of the things that launched with Dashboard in Tiger looked like direct ripoffs of Confabulator. I mentioned the weather widget, and I'm guessing that many of our listeners have at some point, even if you don't anymore, at some point you have used the weather Dashboard widget that came, of course, by default and on by default in OS X. And the way that it works is there's a little rounded rectangle with a picture of what the current weather is hanging off the one side of it and the temperature in the rounded rectangle. And then you can click for more information where you get the extended forecast, which looked awfully familiar, except it was purple instead of clear gray. I want to make sure we reiterate some of these dates. Tiger was released on April 29th, 2005. Confabulator 2.0, their big landmark release, uh, came out just a couple weeks later. So you have to wonder about how Tiger's release affected the the 2.0 launch. Obviously, they dropped their price by $5, probably in an attempt to make their offering more attractive, especially if it was going to be duplicating some features that people were now getting for free with their 
operating system for free with your paid upgrade to Tiger for $129 different times. So not everyone was going to upgrade to Tiger right away. And they could have actually capitalized on people who wanted just that feature. That's true. But I think that's not how it worked. And it may also be a reason why they agreed to be acquired just a couple months after that. I don't know the the inner history of the team behind Confabulator, but I do know that uh, all of them have left working for Yahoo. I don't think any of the three of them are still at Yahoo. So obviously it wasn't something that they would have wanted to do for the rest of their lives. So maybe they were in a position brought on by Apple releasing 10.4 that made an acquisition offer all the more attractive. And at the time that Confabulator, aka Yahoo Widgets, shut down in March 2012, it had over 4,300 widgets in its gallery listing online. We'll put a link to the Wayback Machine's archive of that in the show notes. Apple's dashboard is still a feature in the Mac OS and surprisingly still has its gallery of third-party widgets live on apple.com. And as we record this, and I doubt there will be any more added, there are only 1,703. Compared to how many quintillion apps in the App Store? Exactly. But if you look at either of these... They look like the bargain basement drawer of the App Store. <laughs> of course, the App Store where 99 cents is a premium application. <laughs> because if you look at that, uh, the uh, Yahoo widgets gallery and just scroll, scroll through the first page, you go, why would anybody need any of these? <laughs> uh, and some of the widgets on Apple's dashboard gallery are truly puzzling. I'm not even sure what they do. <laughs> Although I suppose we could find out because it still exists in OS X. Anyway, Dashboard launched, and I think besides the seeming Sherlocking slash ripoff of Confabulator, everyone who was standing on the side of Confabulator said, yes, but they're not even as good. Because the way that Dashboard worked was it was a modal interface. So when it first launched, it was an overlay. You would hit the keyboard shortcut for Dashboard, and all of the widgets would sort of descend from, I guess, the direction towards the user down onto the screen. Similar to now, like when you unlock an iPhone and the icons sort of fall into place. And, but it was this modal view and you had all your widgets on the screen, or they disappeared. They didn't have that persistent feature that the confabulator widgets did, where you could place them strategically on your desktop and have information at a glance, or a quick interaction at a glance. You know, so you could have a CPU meter uh, widget in Dashboard, but what good is that if you can't actually look at it when you need to know what the current status of your CPU is um, or have to toggle back and forth while your computer is being pegged anyway is <laughs> not even going to load into place. So there was that limitation. But the features that they gained were basically in the underlying technology. So the dashboard widgets in Tiger again, this was another thing that seemed awfully similar, was that they relied on HTML, CSS, and JavaScript as their main underlying technologies. So they were basically tiny, tiny WebKit views, just the same way as the sweet solution on iOS was, here, have a WebKit view. That'll work as a small application. But one of the things that made them a little bit more powerful is that you could also make them with tools in Apple's IDE, Xcode, and there was a piece of that called Dashcode, and this allowed for adding additional Objective-C code into a widget. So it didn't have to just be a dumb web view that could run in basically a browser, but it could also have some native code in it that would make them a little bit more robust and more platform-specific 
than the confabulator widgets. Ed mentioned the weather widget that looked very similar to the confabulator weather widget. And at launch with Tiger, there were only 14 first-party widgets included from Apple. You can also imagine some of the standard desk accessory-like widgets. There was a clock. There was a calendar. I think there was an address book, which we now know as contacts. There was a widget that could uh, show you what was playing in iTunes and let you control it. Dictionary lookup widget. Mm -hmm. And, And for this iTunes one, like Ed said, what's the utility of if you probably have an iTunes window somewhere, unless you've minimized it because this is before spaces, uh, what's the point of going into a different modal view to control iTunes, uh, you know, as opposed to command tabbing into iTunes, which is just a different switching of context to change a song. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) later on, Apple released, uh, or I guess built more widgets into the system that were delivered through software updates. And Similar to how Apple made a YouTube and a Google Maps app for the first iPhone, uh, they made apps for ESPN sports scores and a Google search box that you could access, again, from your dashboard instead of going to your Google in your browser. Another thing that really showed how much dashboard widgets were essentially web views was something called Safari Web Clips which came out with Leopard OS 10.5. And uh, these are also still a feature of the system software and the Safari web browser. Right. So if you're in Safari, you can actually make one of these little web clips. And what it says is you take the current page that you're on and you cut a little frame or a little window to a piece of it. And then you only want to see that and have it be live updated. And the notion was that you could, if someone didn't build their own dashboard widget, you could make it for them. But it really was just a dumb cutout of a web page. And if something happened, like, I don't know, maybe they have ads on their web page, and maybe the ads aren't always the same size, and then that thing gets bumped down the page, you're suddenly looking at like a two by three inch square of an ad or a text that you didn't want instead of like the top 10 headlines from your favorite website that you think usually appear in a certain piece of the window. <laughs> it also belied the fact that they were loading the complete web page under the covers. <laughs> and that meant that if it was a complex web page that had even things like, I don't know if it ran Flash inside or not, but it would run the full web page. It was just like having another Safari tab open all the time, even when it wasn't visible on your screen. It was really trying to be a more glamorous way of the thing you said you tried to get Confabulator to do where you would uh, like hot link directly to an image or a file that was refreshed often. I tried to do this earlier. It's If you're in Safari right now, you can also do it by going to the file menu and choose open in dashboard. And it'll give you a little interface that's kind of like the web inspector where, where it will try to auto-highlight uh, an area of the page probably by going through the DOM. And uh, and once you've chosen, you've cropped what area of the web page is, it'll create a widget for it, open it in Dashboard, where you now have your choice of some terrible borders to go around it. It's a lot like the ones in uh, early Keynote that you could put around an image in a Keynote slide. Like torn paper or the little photo border holders uh, and these will cut into the area you've selected if they're some of the, the bigger, more extravagant ones. And you would have to do it by guess and check because it wouldn't show you the border while you made your crop selection. And then you would have to go into dashboard and go, no, I need it's seven more pixels to the right. <laughs> and you have to do it again. Yeah, it just seems like a wholly frustrating process. <laughs> I had a couple that I used, but... I After a while, they just drove me nuts and I stopped. One of the other things, we, we mentioned the variety of widgets that Apple created just to show off the primary features of Dashboard. And one thing that we didn't mention is that each of them had their own look and feel. So unlike the desk accessories of the classic macOS, where there was a unifying look for desk accessories versus the unified look of 
applications and finder windows. With dashboard widgets, you got a completely different interface for each widget. And this was because they were just WebKit views. So the interface that you got was always an image asset. So you could create that image to look any way that you wanted. And they really went over the top in some ways with the graphics of Dashboard. It was supposed to be this like rich playground of immersive graphics and widgets, um, including there was a ripple effect, like dropping a stone in a pond. Whenever you opened a new widget, instead of it just appearing, you would get this really like prolonged ripple effect. And as I remember, you know, this was done in the demo in the keynote when it was first announced, but then it was actually, that effect actually required hardware graphics acceleration. And if you didn't have the newest Mac, your widgets didn't ripple. And I remembered fine, like finally years later getting a Mac that had that and going, what is this? Why, <laughs> why do I need this? I never had this before. I, the widgets worked just fine for years and years. There were also, again, I said these were sort of reminiscent of what we still see in Keynote today. There are 3D transitions for interacting with widgets and seeing their options. So they had like, it was like the metaphor was that you had the front side of the widget was that was its display that you could interact with. And then the back side was the settings. And to get to that, you had to click on a little eye, the little info eye that on some widgets was always visible and on some widgets was only visible on hover. And you would have to sort of paw around to figure out where it was and then click on it and then the whole thing would flip over. And sometimes the metaphor didn't hold up and the, to fit all the settings, you needed more space than the widget itself. So you would flip it over, but then it would grow <laughs> or shrink. And then when you flipped it back, it would be in the wrong place. So there are all these different effects and transitions. Um, it obeyed the still mostly universal shift click to go slow. <laughs> I think this was also in the keynote too. Like, look at these ripples in slow motion. <laughs> so yeah, if you if you held down shift while you added a new widget, or you held down shift while you clicked its info I to flip it around for settings, it would move in super slow motion. Just just because. But like I said, all these had their own unique interfaces. And I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but I feel like this was the genesis of Apple's love of skeuomorphism was in some of these dashboard widgets because it gave them the little playground to say, oh, well, this isn't an app. We're not really violating our interface guidelines because dashboard is a whole separate thing. These are widgets. These aren't apps. And every widget is supposed to have its own whimsical widgety character that is reflective of its use and purpose. And for some things, like the weather widget, that's abstract. So you don't really need to have any sort of skeuomorphic thing. It just has to look nice and aqua and be, you know, basically the color of the sky. It has to be blue during the day and gray when it's rainy and purple at night. With other things, though, like the contacts widget... I think this is the first place that we have leather contacts. And and I think maybe even the dictionary lookup widget too had had a leather pattern to signify that this was like a nice hardbound. Nice hardbound book, exactly. And other things were more like branded. I think, you know, the ESPN widget was red because their corporate colors are red and that sort of thing. But I feel like this was a major turn in the way that Apple approached the design of their software and the fact that, yeah, if you were really doing widgets right, each one had this sort of bespoke interface to it, that it was not using just a windows and buttons and scroll bars and checkboxes metaphor. It was able to use its own design language as long as that was obvious but then, of course, the problem with that is trusting everyone, especially when you open things up to third-party developers, to make it obvious. 
And there were some like spectacularly useless <laughs> widgets. Like, wasn't there one where it was a ball and yeah. you would click on the ball and it would bounce randomly around the screen and it wouldn't stop until you could like click on it and catch, like, it? catch it. Yeah. 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 And these were the kinds of things that were, you know, wildly popular <laughs> uh, dashboard widgets. The problem, of course, was that they were resource hogs. I remember on older Macs, probably my previous two laptops, it got to a point later on where you would regret if the first time that you would accidentally launch dashboard. Because even if you only had two or three widgets open, it could take 10, 15, 30 seconds for it to just get up and running and do all of that JavaScript runtime just to initialize them. It, it was much faster once things were in place. Like, usually interaction with an already loaded widget was pretty good, especially for the built-in ones. But I remember starting up the computer, and then just for the first thing you would do is just activate dashboard and wait, and then deactivate it, just so you didn't accidentally hit the key for it when you were in the middle of some important work and just be delayed. I felt the exact same way about dashboard. It was a resource hog. I was like you. Uh, the first time I was running Tiger, it was not on, mach on a machine that had hardware graphic acceleration. So I didn't even get to see the fancy stuff, let alone experience it at a fast enough uh, speed. And I, the only dashboard widget I ever installed off of the internet was called Disable Dashboard. And it was a little, it was a little button that basically ran the terminal command that would kill the process. It might have been kill all doc or something like that, because I think it was connected. The processes were connected, and uh, and that's what I would do if if I accidentally hit the dashboard key on the keyboard before I learned to uh, turn that off. Um, I would wait for everything to <laughs> to like load and get ready, and then I would click the disable dashboard widget. And it would kill the process and it would remain dead. So I couldn't accidentally bring it back until a restart or like a reboot of the finder application or log in and log out, et cetera. Uh, and so I always had that ready um, wow. in my dashboard view. Should I ever hit it accidentally? Yeah. I just remember that, you know, ones like the calculator widget, which was great to have around for when you needed to add some numbers until things like LaunchBar gained their own calculator functionality, and then it's out the window, or even just Google. Just type type your math into the Google search bar. It would be faster now. But I remember just loading it, and it's like, the calculator is loading its buttons. Calculators shouldn't have to load their buttons. <laughs> they should know what like each of the numerals are. Right. When they start off, they should know that they're 0 through 9. <laughs> but... It didn't, and that was a limitation of the technology. But like we said, we were constantly activating it accidentally. And this was because it got its own keyboard shortcut. In the beginning, it was along with the default uh, expose controls, which I think were like F9 through F12. Those used to be complete muscle memory for me. Uh, you know, for show desktop, show all windows, show application, or show dashboard. Uh, and they were just blank keys on the keyboard. But then Apple started putting the media keys and other F key icons along the top. And eventually, one of them was dedicated to Dashboard. And we mentioned this in our episode about Apple's hardware keyboards starting in 2007, which was when they redesigned their peripheral keyboards to be the flat aluminum with white keycaps we all know today. It was F4 had the little dashboard icon on it. I'm looking right at and, it. <laughs> and dedicated to launching dashboard. Right there, F4. It's a little uh, circle with a little meter in it. Like it's showing me how many revolutions per minute the engine is going in my car. <laughs> <laughs> the little engine inside your computer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so we've been talking about how uh, dashboards, gallery of widgets, doesn't have as many as confabulators did. We both had visceral reactions whenever we opened Dashboard. That's not to say that I never, ever used it. I came up with sort of a, 
very bare minimum set of widgets that lived in there that couldn't be replicated on the outside, especially once I went away from Yahoo Widgets, the erstwhile confabulator. And there were a couple things in there that were still not replaceable by applications until, I don't know, a few years ago, probably. Like I said, a lot of them, these small functionalities have been wrapped up in more full-fledged applications now or have just been farmed out to web apps. Like you mentioned, Calculator is now in whatever your application launcher of choice, even if it's Spotlight. You can do simple math. Right, and all I need to do in LaunchBar to access that is command space and hit equals, and it goes to calculator mode. So even though people were using it, I think the writing has been on the wall that dashboard is not a, a marquee feature of the OS. And perhaps not long for inclusion in OS X. So there are some things that have been pointed out uh, to us on Twitter recently. So, for example, there are first-party dashboard widgets still being shipped with Yosemite, and we'll see with El Capitan coming up. But a lot of the old widgets don't have Retina artwork, which means that they have not been revised in a long, long time now, especially because pretty much almost every Mac now has Retina as the default option, if not, um, you know, every every part of the Mac line has some option to go Retina, even sort of the Mac Pro. <laughs> and also, there's a question of whether it's even going to be enabled. So I think that it's still enabled by default in Yosemite, but apparently in the El Capitan betas, it is disabled by default. And this is in the mission control system preferences pane. And you can just say, do I want dashboard to be the overlay, which is the old style way of doing it? Do I want it to behave like a separate space, which had been the default for a while after spaces was introduced? Or do I want it to go away quietly? <laughs> and I realized, you know, like I said, I never use it for anything. It's a slowdown, even still, well, six-year-old hardware that I've got still here in front of me. And now I've turned it off, and if I, I can just hit F4 all day, <laughs> and nothing happens. And to be honest, I don't really miss it. <laughs> Same here. You know, usually, usually we're so nostalgic, and this one we're like, good riddance. Yeah, I, I was just never a, a fan of it. On the other hand, though, on iOS, I am like, I am so looking forward to good, solid, rich interaction with widgets. Yes, I want beautiful display of information for things that are primarily telling me information. For things that I want to interact with, I want that interaction to be seamless and intuitive and have a pleasing animation. Like all of these same all of these same desires for a piece of software, I still want those pieces of software. They've just migrated to my pocket. They have no place being a dedicated F4 key on my laptop in 2015. And that's the last bit of evidence we have that dashboard is no longer at the top of Apple's mind. The hardware keys for any Mac that was released after OS 10.7 Lion, which had Launchpad, the F4 key now has a Launchpad icon on it instead of Dashboard. So like I said, one of the things that I think has replaced widgets in what heck, we they're actually officially called that, iOS widgets in Notification Center. Yeah, in the Today view, which, gosh, I have to think at some point they're just going to rename widgets. So that wraps up our recap up to today of Dashboard. But it's important to stress again that when Tiger came out, there were ardent fans of Confabulator who cried Sherlock and were very upset. And uh, two major voices in the Mac community, John Gruber and John Syracusa, both addressed these concerns at the time. Uh, Syracusa addressed them in his landmark review of OS 10.4 Tiger 
and Gruber wrote a Daring Fireball long-form article. Uh, and they both hit a lot of the same points, that if you're going to call Dashboard out for ripping off of Confabulator, you have to keep in mind the whole history of widgets on the Mac, and that goes back to desk accessories. If If you can generalize the concept enough to think that Dashboard is a blatant ripoff confabulator, then you certainly have to allow for the fact that confabulator had to borrow from desk accessories. And I'm not saying, and neither are they, that that is the case, that it was just theft after theft. But it's it's a whole view that you have to take before you can start making these accusations. I'm looking at Gruber's article now, and I totally forgot this. This is an important linguistic historical piece which is that apparently when Dashboard was first announced, they weren't called widgets. They were called gadgets, which is perhaps the origin of widgets. (laughs) Um, But at some point, Apple decided that that wasn't the best term for them. I don't know. Maybe they decided that Confabulator had it right all along. Maybe they decided that the legal ramifications were not too great. But apparently... They really believed that the term widget described these, as Gruber calls them, applets, mini applications, the best. We'll link to both of these articles in our show notes, so you can feel free to read them on your own time. Obviously, Syracuse's digression on widgets is part of the larger OS X review, which always takes some time to get through. (laughs) Right. Fortunately, it's paginated. Finally, there's one much smaller player in the Mac widget game that I would be remiss if we left out. I think we've mentioned it briefly on the show before. We have, we have. Uh, And it's Panic's Statue. And this worked more like Confabulator in which the widgets were present on your desktop at all time. It wasn't a modal view that you switched over to, like Dashboard. These were like the pinned widgets where you could merge them back into the desktop. Yes, And pinned is very important because Statue had kind of a defined space for your widgets. They weren't free to be placed anywhere you wanted to, like in the dashboard space or confabulator. I think they even called it a dock, maybe, the widget dock. I guess the metaphor is they're they're, they're under the skin. You can't get at them. And the other key difference between Statue and dashboard and confabulator is that it wasn't an open platform. Panic made the widgets that were included with Statue, and uh, you couldn't get anything else. You could have multiple instances of a widget, like weather or time. To have multiple locations, multiple time zones, yeah. But you couldn't have uh, something like a bouncy ball (laughs) to go around your your screen. I guess the most customizable one that they had was there was one for an RSS feed. So you could probably customize like how many entries and what feed it would go to. So if you really wanted to get your own data in there, you can always roll your own RSS feed and point it at that to get some custom info tattooed on your desktop. <laughs> and I used tattoo for a little bit and it was purely for aesthetic reasons. I've always been a fan of Panix apps, both both for their functionality and for their design. And each of the statue tattoos had a very uh, defined aesthetic system. Uh, they were bound in translucent shapes that were rectangles where the northeast and southwest corners were rounded and the northwest and southeast corners were straight, uh, which I think was in line with the way that their website was designed at the time. Speaking of which, the product page for Statue is still up. You can go and look at it. Uh, And actually, as we're talking about this, I think Statue, which uh, was end of life after, I think, two years, kind of evolved into one of Panic's other products, which is Status Board, which is basically having these predefined data widgets in a, a pretty defined grid on your iPad instead of on your Mac. Yeah, and the overall aesthetic, too, of Statue makes me think of more modern widgets, like in Notification Center, especially the 
notification center widgets, today view widgets on the desktop, where despite the fact that now we actually have all of the hardware acceleration and software accelerated JavaScript and all that, <laughs> we've gone back to basically showing text in table views. It's a very clean, sans serif, high contrast font. And it's just, you know, you want the weather? We're going to put the temperature in a big sans serif font and the name of the city next to it. That's it. That's the you know, sort of modern design aesthetic. Statue lived kind of in the middle of all the turmoil between Confabulator and Dashboard. 1.0 was released in April 2004 before Tiger came out. And the last version, 1.5, was two years later, April 2006. But because Panic is an awesome company that preserves all of their work, uh, if you go to download.panic.com, you can find all the old versions of their current apps or apps they no longer support. And the folder for Statue in their old file, as they call it, file museum, has some betas for Statue 2.0 that I don't think were ever publicized. I tried running the most recent one on my Mac and it <laughs> crashed. Oh, well. <laughs> but it's it's cool that uh, this fleeting example of widgets on the Mac still has a little bit of presence if you want to go and seek it out for yourself. So I think that brings us to the present day and our current current status of widgets. And like we said, they're they're still all over the place if you know where to look. They're in your notification centers on iOS and Mac. And still it's always conceived of as that third-party platform for easy access information. Of course, with the widgets now on modern OS 10 in notification center and also on iOS there's a little bit higher barrier to entry because those always have to go along with a full-fledged application and they plug into the extensions framework. And so that means that someone like me who knows no JavaScript and no Objective-C and know nothing can't just open up a, a widget template and start copy-pasting variables in there and hope to get the relevant piece of information displayed. But that doesn't mean that there aren't people out there who are willing to put in that kind of effort and build robust platforms for precisely this kind of information. So like we've been talking about, we will have lots of links to things we've mentioned in our show notes. Our show notes for this episode can be found at simplebeep.com slash episodes. And if you'd like to give us feedback, maybe you have a widget of your own you'd like to recommend or a widget you used to use frequently you can either contact us at our website, simplebeep.com, or on Twitter, at simple underscore beep. We are, of course, both on Twitter. I'm at ecormany, E-C-O-R-M-A-N-Y. And I'm at bsuto, B-S-U-T-O. We'll see you next time.